Yowie wowie. We are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. That uh, with your AEW All-Out 2023 Ultimate Preview. That's right, getting over is back once again. And we are here to break down everything that happened in the last week across AEW, both somewhat before AEW All In and certainly coming out of AEW All In before we give you that ultimate preview for AEW All Out. And if that sounds like a mouthful, trust me, folks, it absolutely was. We have plenty to get to on today's show, and we are not going to waste any time off the top. Of course, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, is with you right now. Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining later for the AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. But first, allow me to remind you that here on this podcast is all about Defy. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little extra time. Leave a five-star written review. If you do, we will read it live right here on the show. Please also remember, I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well, because for five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year, you can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Sign up. You will get bonus audio. You will get news posts and your contributions will directly support the continuation of the getting over wrestling podcast. Again, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. Lastly, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at getting overcast, not only for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff, but also so you can vote in our pre and post show polls surrounding WWE payback on Saturday and AEW all out on Sunday. We will take your pre show and post show grades into consideration as part of our instant analysis podcast, which of course will be published Saturday night as soon as WWE Payback goes off the air and Sunday night as soon as AEW All Out goes off the air. Already in the bank this week here on Getting Over, we do have our WWE Payback Ultimate Preview. So if you missed that, be sure to go back and listen to it. And we have our NXT show that we also published this week. As mentioned previously, we are doing five episodes this week, coming off doing five episodes last week. That's 10 in two weeks, way more than the four in two weeks that we normally do, but we are thrilled here at Getting Over to bring it to you. Now, we have a ton to talk about on today's show. The focus should be and will be all out, but I would be remiss if we did not circle back to the CM Punk controversy stemming from all in. So, We are going to discuss that first, then we're going to discuss everything that happened on AEW TV that did not directly result in build for All Out. And then, of course, Vintage Chris Vanini will join the Silver King for our AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. Now, going back to our All In Instant Analysis podcast, we already discussed a lot of the reporting on what happened at that show regarding CM Punk and Jack Perry. So I'm not going to go over that story as we've already shared it. However, further details have come out that we need to review. And certainly, as I'm sure you can guess, I have plenty to say about them. So let's start with the latest that has been shared coming out of Brawl In. And 
you know, I will try to keep it as short as I possibly can. But I think, you know, when we talk about the CM Punk, Tony Khan, AEW situation, sometimes the stuff gets away from me. So CM Punk, after All In was over and the news had permeated throughout a ton of different media outlets, he went to work with his personal media guy and basically told his story, not just of All In, but of his trip to London. As he tells it, he was waiting in gorilla position, initiated the exchange, asking Jack Perry if he had something to say to him, and then it escalated into a chokehold. Punk laughably claims he did it to neutralize the situation because he's a quote-unquote trained fighter, L-O-fucking-L. He also said he did not throw punches, but there's apparently footage of the incident, so someone somewhere is gonna see what's true and what is not. I should also note, by the way, that Tony Khan did his media call before All Out uh, on Thursday when we taped this podcast, and he basically no commented everything as one would expect. Now, what I know is that you do not neutralize a situation between yourself and another party by turning it physical and putting them in a chokehold. By the way, if this all did go down in Gorilla, it presumably would have happened directly in front of Tony. So I'm not quite sure how much of an investigation is needed here. Now, continuing what Punk told his media guy, he claims he ultimately left Wembley Stadium of his own accord to not create further issues. Then he put himself over for ordering some chicken for the talent backstage. Like he's literally trying to paint himself in a positive light and his media friends are like happy to tell that side of the story. What a completely unnecessary detail to include in your story. I bought people food just to make yourself look good. Punk also complained through his media that no one from AEW met him at the airport. There was no car for him upon his arrival, and the number that he was given for a driver did not work, so he had to make his way to the hotel on his own. Even if AEW was supposed to do those things for him and failed, why the hell would he make that public as if he's some victim? AEW allegedly screwing up his travel doesn't change what happened at All In. Shit happens, grow up, maybe call the head of talent relations. Wait a minute, you can't do that because the guy hates you because you banned him from Collision. Did you ban him from Wembley Stadium as well? But here's the thing. Apparently, there was no talent or logistical support outside of flights and hotels being booked because that's not what AEW does. So Punk was not forgotten about. Everyone else on the card managed to get to where they needed to be, somehow except him. This is a 44-year-old man get on a train or whatever they have over there, call an Uber, you know the name of your hotel, it can't be that difficult. Imagine purporting yourself as a locker room leader and leaking this type of crap to a friendly media guy. This is dumb shit. It's stupid shit to paint AEW in a bad light and make yourself look like a victim. What's hilarious in all of this reporting is the details are so specific that perhaps no one other than Punk could have provided them. Like maybe AJ Lee, if she was with him, or a friend, if they traveled with him. But really, you know it's Punk because of how specific the details were. If you're reporting, you should be telling your source, being Punk in this in this case, hey dude, you're giving me a lot, I can't put all that in there, it's gonna be very obvious that it's you. But that's not what happened here. Now, moving to some unbiased reporting. PW Torch cites sources saying, Punk actually threatened to quit AEW in the heat of the moment. 
He supposedly confronted Tony Khan in front of a bunch of other people in a really heated fashion, chewed him out, cursed, all that type of stuff. And apparently this happened before he got into it with Perry. So the idea is that Jack made the comment during the match, Punk overheard it, then took Tony, got him all riled up, screamed at him, and then after that was over, went face to face with Perry. I must note that this is not being reported elsewhere other than PW Torch, but per Fightful, Punk has told numerous people he, quote, hates this place, referring to AEW. I mean, that's incredible. And apparently Samoa Joe, which this is hysterical and it kind of harkens back to his role in NXT at the end of his run there, he played Peacemaker and calmed Punk down. Now, this match was set to start the show. There were concerns a change would have to be made. And in the hilarity of all hilarity, it seems the Golden Elite versus Bullet Club gold match would have started the show instead. Could you imagine being the person gifted with the ability to tell Kenny Omega and Hangman Page, hey guys, CM Punk started another fight, you're on next. I would probably pay money to be that person just to see the look on Omega and Page's faces. Please remember, this Punk who supposedly hates AEW and this owner that Punk supposedly chewed out have done nothing but bend over backwards for him. Please remember, this guy publicly embarrassed his boss and the company after winning the AEW title. Then he got suspended, but came back as soon as he was cleared from injury. He had his best friend who was fired, not only rehired, but given back pay. Then Punk was given his own show, on which he has some kind of personnel or booking power for some reason. And he even gets to carry around the stupid real world championship still. So he kind of never relinquished that. But this guy still is leaking stuff to the media. He's still painting AEW in a bad light. He still reportedly hates it there. And he chews out Tony Khan at the start of the biggest show in the company's history because someone made a comment about him on TV. Man, we've talked about Tony's lack of discipline with Punk and how it's created an environment where Punk feels like he can get away with whatever he wants. If that has now escalated to not just disrespecting Tony while sitting next to him, but getting in his face and disrespecting him in front of talent in a more direct manner while talking about wanting to leave the company, Khan cannot stand for that any longer. He has to do something serious here. If Punk was a real leader, he would have let Perry's comment go in the moment. Then he would have addressed it with Khan after the show or the following week and had Tony, or suggested at least, Tony punish Jack while he kept his hands clean. But the problem is, Punk is not a leader. He thinks he's the undertaker. He's actually 1997 Shawn Michaels. He spends tons of time respecting veterans, and he believes younger talent in AEW should grant him that same respect almost automatically. Bullshit. That's not how respect works. That's not how you get respected. You earn respect. Punk has not done that. Now, we've talked about this before as well. Tony Khan has fostered an environment where not only can CM Punk do whatever the hell he wants, but guys like Perry feel they can say and do whatever 
whether online or even live on TV, and have nothing come of it. Because let's not get it twisted. And I said this on Sunday. Jack deserves significant punishment. Yes, Punk started this by leaking the glass story to his personal media first in another attempt to paint him in a good light a couple weeks ago, the last time there was controversy. However, Perry instigated it weeks later, live during All In. And then of course, Punk escalated it further backstage. Both deserve to be suspended. And according to multiple reports, both have been suspended. That's honestly the minimum that needs to happen. I've already said that I would have fired Punk after Brawl Out last year. Now, if he got physical first here, I would fire him too. Again, he wouldn't be on my roster anyway, but if I was Tony Khan and I let him back and then this happened, I would fire him. But let's not get this twisted, okay? Other talent knowing that Punk is soft and fragile and easy to anger and perhaps taking advantage of that to irk him, none of that makes it okay that Punk gets angry and gets physically involved. He's a human being, not an animal. The tiger's cage analogy does not apply here. The man should have restraint. He's 44. He's 18 years older than Perry. He's an adult older than Jack Perry. And he's letting that pipsqueak get under the skin of a quote unquote trained fighter. Really? You remember in the office when Andy and Aaron start dating and they're at that like Dave and Buster's place. Andy's talking about how he hates drama and he doesn't want any drama and he doesn't want people talking about them. Meanwhile, he's the one creating the drama and he's the one talking about it and no one else actually gives a shit. That is Phil Brooks. These are all the people that Punk has had issues with in the last 12 months. Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Jack Perry, Ryan Nemeth, Christopher Daniels, Colt Cabana, Chris Jericho, Matt Hardy, John Moxley, Bobby Fish, Isaiah Cassidy, seemingly Miro, who kind of spoke out about Punk on Sunday, but there's multiple differing reports about whether he's at odds with him. That story is not quite clear. But other than that, that's 14 people. And those are only the ones we know about. Those are the wrestlers. What about backstage people? What about other wrestlers who aren't speaking up? This is the second time in as many years that people are talking about Punk starting a fight backstage rather than a tentpole AEW pay-per-view. This one at fucking Wembley Stadium with 81,000 people in attendance. Now, moving this forward, this has become a disaster for AEW because they had three shows coming up in Chicago, obviously including Dynamite on Wednesday that has already passed. Fans expect CM Punk to at least be on two of them, Collision and All Out. Now, he's suspended. Does Tony bring him back for All Out and then continue his suspension after that? As a promoter, he might have to do that. And I can't really blame him if he does, so long as Punk is immediately suspended again afterward. This is not pro sports. There's no league office. He has some flexibility, but he also has thousands of paying customers in a key city that they have made their home base that he needs to satisfy. I'm not saying I would do it. I'm simply saying if Tony Khan puts CM Punk on all out, I will understand. But it also depends on what the punishment looks like, especially from a long-term standpoint and how this is ultimately settled. It's honestly amazing now that I think about it that Punk came back and got suspended again 
two months later. Hell, Tony might give him another show out of this. Look, let's wrap this up, okay? Punk is not the backbone of AEW. And it's time that Tony Khan realizes that. Punk did not buy into AEW when Tony first asked him to be that backbone. He was then disgusted that the Young Bucks text messaged him to reach out. He waited until the Elite and Tony got AEW up and running and made it a success before he decided to jump on board a train that was already full speed ahead. He might for a time have been the top draw, and maybe he still is, but he's not the heart and soul of AEW. He does not need to be and should not be coddled the way he has been. Punk jumped into the locker room as the highest paid talent and demanded respect. Yet he's not as big a star as he thinks, and he hasn't earned that respect because all he's done is act out both on TV and backstage. All he's done is put himself in front of everyone else. Compare that to the way that Chris Jericho and John Moxley have operated. They've actively lifted people up. They've served as examples. They've put the company ahead of themselves. This despite frustrations with Jericho's booking. Mox has canceled vacations to help AEW. And even with what I said about Jericho, he's done plenty for AEW, even if you don't love his booking. He jumped on board before the train was even stocked with supplies. He deserves massive credit for that. Mox added the coal that got the engine really moving. Respect goes both ways. You don't hear shit being talked about Jericho or Mox. Why? Because they earned respect. So even if a backstage issue did bubble up, it's kept internal because people respect them. There's reports that morale is down and a lot of talent was really upset given this happened at All In. Can you imagine being the reason that a damper was put on a historic moment for your peers as your company was in the middle of entertaining 81,000 fans in Wembley Stadium? It's pathetic. It's disappointing. And Tony Khan, I've said this so many times, he needs to get a handle on this locker room because as a wise man once said, enough is enough and it's time for a change. Now, we do still have the AEW All Out Ultimate Preview to come. Before we get to that, let's discuss everything that happened across Dynamite, Collision, and Rampage that does not directly have to do with All Out. On Dynamite, Chris Jericho filleted AEW All In's ticket sales, then called out Sammy Guevara to make amends for shoving him in frustration after the match. Jericho was wearing a shiny glass jacket like in his Y2J days, and Guevara was actually wearing his old inner circle vest from back in the day. Jericho played footage, proving Guevara helped him, and Sammy shook his hand, saying he always has his back, and a little push would not break them up. Chris kept rambling, saying Sammy could have hit Will Ospreay harder with the bat, to which, of course, Sammy took exception. Guevara countered him that a harder Judas effect could have mattered also, and that he left his pregnant wife to go there to help him, and he wants respect and appreciation. It got contentious between them from there, with some good barbs and some weak ones going back and forth. Sammy got in Chris's face. Jericho suggested, hey, let's turn this around, let's reform less sex gods, and let's go after the tag team title starting next week. Fans booed, but Guevara shook his hand and agreed. Later backstage, Sammy was being interviewed when Don Callis stepped up, trying to get into his head. Guevara cut him off and got in his face. Strong first segment. It was missing a bit of heat. I like them in the tag team division, which is strangely thinned out recently, and them tagging will obviously lead to a breakup and a singles feud sooner than later, with Jericho hopefully putting Guevara over, as has been a long time coming. 
even though we saw contentiousness with Guevara and Callis, obviously that can change at any point, as we've seen in the history of professional wrestling, Sammy could easily turn heel. Or we could get JAS reforming against the Callis family. We could even get the Callis family taking some JAS members. He would have to add people. He has a family and he only has Takeshka. We'll see what they do here. On Dynamite, John Moxley fought Commander. This opened the show and was mostly irrelevant to All Out. Mox got knees up on a tightrope 450. He came back with a lariat, pile driver, hammer elbows, a rear naked choke, and an arm bar for the submission win. Nothing else to say on this. Later backstage, Mox said he's not about bark, but about bite. We know, John. On Rampage, there was an international title match, Orange Cassidy against Aaron Solo. Solo nearly dropped Orange on his head and only hit half of a coup de gras. Harley Cameron distracted and Cassidy kicked out of a belt shot. Then Orange hit Orange Punch and Beach Break for the win. You know, it's one thing when they were doing like random TNT title challenges. That's a TV title. This is basically AEW's Intercontinental Championship and Orange has put together a great reign. So why are you doing low card throwaway scrubs like Solo in matches like this? In kayfabe, Orange isn't an idiot. His hand hurts and has for months now. He has a huge arsenal of moves. Why does he keep using the orange punch, especially against guys like this? Obviously, this happened before All In, but it still applies. On Dynamite, the acclaimed came out for a trio's title celebration with Billy Gunn saying daddy ass is back. Then they went to cut a pink ribbon and made a joke about Max Caster having small scissors while Billy had big ones. That led to the unveiling of new pink trio's titles. I got to tell you, the titles are ugly as shit. The same ugly titles now with hot pink straps, but... What was really cool is the backs of them were actually cut out in scissor shapes. Then they promised to defend the titles on collision against the three JAS guys. The fans love acclaimed so they can do no wrong. I got to say this segment largely sucked if we're being honest and giving them real trios challengers on all out would have been better than two of the matches at least that are on the all out card, which we will discuss in a little bit. On Dynamite, Tony Storm said she's happy for Soraya, but angry she went off script and Ruby Soho left her out there. Storm continued freaking out and walking off, still doing her Marilyn Monroe deal. The character is great. The storyline is not. There's a trios match now set for collision with the outcasts teaming up. They were at each other's throats last Sunday. So hopefully this is the breakup angle for them. If not, it's going to make the developments at All In look kind of ridiculous. On Dynamite, Britt Baker, Chris Statlander, and Hikaru Shida fought Nyla Rose, Emi Sakura, and Marina Shafir. Commentary told us that Shida's 25-day title reign was great because her prior one happened during the pandemic. It was still a 25-day title reign. It wasn't great. Baker accidentally punched Shida, then ate a chokeslam from Naya, but Stat recovered to hit a crossbody on the women outside and Wednesday night fever inside for the win. Then Soho attacked her after the bell with no future as Baker and Shida argued. Two-thirds of the match were during commercial break. I suppose maybe they can do Baker-Shida coming out of this as a feud, but even that seems flimsy at best. This was pretty much a waste of time. On collision, Keith Lee squashed a jobber in 90 seconds with a sit-down powerbomb. It was nice to see him, but holy shit, how many non-contracted talent is AEW going to use on its main shows? On collision, Drillistico and Preston Vance were chained up after being kidnapped in Mexico last week. They turned things around, beat the shit out of all the dudes, and left them bloodied in a warehouse with Jose approaching afterward, kind of clapping seeming like it was a test they passed. It's going to be continued next week. It's not bad. It's kind of intriguing, actually. I'm not quite sure that the end will justify the storyline because what can really happen? They just get tougher, but I'm along for the ride and it definitely has my attention. On Rampage, which was one of the 
go-home shows for All In. They did a Jim Ross sit-down interview with QT Marshall about winning a title in AAA. Now, all of that said, he said he puts the pro in professional wrestling and went to Mexico to win a title because despite rumors about his relationship with Tony Khan, he actually doesn't get chances in AEW. This promo from QT was actually kind of great. Maybe his best one in AEW. But then they did a defense of this title on the show, QT against Gravity. Marshall hit a pop-up diamond cutter and a vertical lifted Liger Bomb for the win. It was actually a really cool finishing sequence. And then Johnny TV comes out, and it's strange seeing him serving as the second for QT Marshall, of all people. But I gotta say, Marshall came across really well in both of these segments. I thought it was stupid for them to be on a Rampage go-home show for All In, but if it wasn't a go-home show, then this would have been perfectly placed on Rampage. I was shockingly entertained by this. You guys know I hate QTV and all the stuff they're doing, but this was pretty shockingly good. Here's the other problem, though. Three of the four matches on Rampage last Friday featured Solo, a jobber, and Gravity as opponents. And we've talked previously about how much non-contracted talent AEW has used. If you want people to watch your shows, you know, Collision and Rampage, you can't be just throwing jobbers out there in this many matches. You gotta put real matches together. On Collision, Willow Nightingale fought Robin Renegade. Speaking of, Caprice Coleman did a great rap, may have even been a freestyle, over Willow's entrance, which was seriously good. Nightingale won with Dr. Bomb in a match that went longer than I expected. Commentary sold her as the next number one contender for the women's title. That makes sense, but obviously it would be nice if she actually earned it. And then lastly on Rampage, Dark Order cut a promo saying they're not the bad guys for wanting to be selfish and happy. I guess we're getting like version 4.0 of this group, which is now down to a trio. Then on Collision, we got Dante Martin and Action Andretti against John Silver and Alex Reynolds. Dark Order hit their standard extended tag team sequence and won with a jackknife cover. This was okay. So with all that extraneous stuff now out of the way, let me welcome in vintage Chris Vanini for the AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. Chris, by the time we break this entire thing down, we'll wrap it up and give our overall thoughts on the card and and so on and so forth. But I got to tell you, just right off the top real quick, it's 10 matches as it stands right now. Of course, we taped this show on Thursday. Rampage and Collision still have to happen. And who the hell knows what's going to go down on those shows. But for a 10-match card, it actually feels too large, given the lacking storyline builds for many of the matches on the card. And I got to tell you, coming in, I find it to be very thin, if that makes sense. Well, yeah, I mean, of course it's thin. They just had the biggest show in wrestling history a week ago. There's not much (laughs) you can do to really follow that up in a normal type of way. And yeah, it feels like you have to throw more matches on here to make it feel like a pay-per-view just based on what's on the card, as opposed to maybe six matches or whatever. Mm -hmm. You got to go big just to make it feel like it's not a special episode of Dynamite or something like that. So kind of feels like that, though. You know, the whole (laughs) the whole running two pay-per-views in two weeks thing is bizarre. It was bizarre from the moment we knew it was going to happen. And ultimately, it's not a surprise you get what you get other than CM Punk not being on the card in Chicago because CM Punk had to go do CM Punk things. Certainly. Well, I did talk about CM Punk earlier, so I'm going to rehash that again with you. But let's go ahead and get into the AEW All Out Ultimate Preview. We're going to break down every single match with predictions, not just for the match itself, but how the storylines 
for the matches that have storylines, uh, how those will continue going forward after All Out. And of course, at the end, we'll give a pre-show expectation grade for AEW All Out, where we'll also give our final thoughts on the card itself. So let's start with the most random match thrown on the card, the Ring of Honor TV Championship, Samoa Joe defending against Shane Taylor. I mean, dude, I don't even know what to say about this one, okay? It was built by a single taped promo from Shane Taylor on Dynamite, and it might have previously aired on Ring of Honor because there was a Ring of Honor microphone and it looked like it was taped for that show. The guy is a notable ROH name historically. He's never even had a television match in AEW, and now he's getting a Ring of Honor TV title shot against a guy who fought CM Punk for the AEW, sorry, the real world title at All In, and he's getting it on what used to be AEW's signature pay-per-view. Who is this match even for? Like, who is this appealing to? The Ring of Honor fans, the 10,000 people that subscribe to that streaming service? Like, what was the point of putting this on the card? Why not put a trio's title match with the acclaimed, your new champions? There were so many other things they could have done. This is ridiculous. Joe retains. I don't want to spend any more time on it. Yeah, it's it's for the Ring of Honor fans. Uh, I know the name. I've seen him a little bit, but I've seen him wrestle about yeah. Shane Taylor. Otherwise, yeah. So like, I don't know. There's, it it is again. You want Samoa Joe on the card, I guess, especially because you don't have CM Punk. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, maybe you could have done something better than this matchup, but maybe this is the kind of matchup that appeals to those kinds of fans. So doesn't do much for me. Joe retains. I mean, Shane Taylor, again, he's a known name. I don't know that people are buying the pay-per-view to see him wrestle Samoa Joe. I, I really don't think they are. No, but it's also, no, but there's a lot of, a lot of matches on a lot of cards that aren't, you're on it for that. And this is obviously the lowest one of them. I suppose, but look, just to give like a, a minor comparison, right. And, and it's not apples to apples, but the two worst matches, quote unquote, on WWE payback are either LA Knight Miz and people are definitely buying it for LA Knight or the non-match with Cody Rhodes in the Grayson Waller Effect interview segment, which maybe people are buying it because they want to see Cody Rhodes. My point being, they could have done something like either of those here and made a match that people at least want to see with a a challenger people want to see. Shane Taylor, no offense to the guy. They're not buying the show for this match. They're not buying the show to see him. Probably or Samoa Joe either, given they just saw Joe at All In. That's really all I'm trying to say. Yeah. All right. Miro versus Powerhouse Hobbs. These guys got the dual taped promo package on collision where they somehow knew what the other person was saying. Excalibur also put over the match. That was it. Not much additional build. And as I've said before, there's really not even a storyline here other than Hobbs wanting redemption for a bunch of recent losses. So he challenged the guy whose nickname is the Redeemer who did nothing to him and they had no beef previously. It's also a match that neither guy should lose given their stations in AEW. You have Miro, who came back two months ago and has basically only squashed jobbers on collision. You have Hobbs, who it looked like was getting a push when he won the TNT title, only to drop it very soon afterward. And he's still somehow, granted, he's not in the segments every week, but he's still somehow stuck with the QTV people and it looked like he might turn on them, but he didn't. So the only way to explain this is that QTV costs Hobbs the win and he mercifully turns on them. But that is something that should have happened months ago. And again, we're in a match where Miro shouldn't lose and really Hobbs shouldn't lose. So given those options, you have to have Miro win unless there's something coming out of All Out. We talked about 
how there's the thing with Punk that apparently was not a real argument, but some said it was. Unless there's like a punishment for him here, which I don't think is the case, I have Miro beating Hobbs, and hopefully Hobbs, you know, uses it and they do something with him. Because again, I don't understand the purpose of this match. Yeah, the pick is Miro. This was something I I didn't realize the all in uh, pre show was two hours instead of one hour. So when I sat down, I realized it was already going on. I had to rewind and or go back on the YouTube channel and find the contract signing between uh, these guys. It was just kind of an awkward spot situation with the stadium, mostly empty. Nobody how about this, Chris? So how about this, Chris? I didn't even know that happened. <laughs> like you're, you're telling me that now that's the first time I'm hearing it. I, yeah. I, I did find yeah. out that the, that the pre-show was two hours. I went on to bleacher report to watch it. It wouldn't load. So it just it said waiting for the show to start, which I got the first hour yeah. of the pre-show. So it must have been somewhere else. I didn't even know the contract signing happened. Yes, it was on the YouTube. They basically just had a little brawl. Um, it was fine. But uh, but by the way, we've been we've been shitting on this here. Give me a big meaty men slapping meat. Oh, drinks, yeah. That's what OK. We're yeah, for with. sure. And I am excited to see that. No, I mean, first of all, it is big meaty men slapping meat, but it is two men bumping meat at all out. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping me tonight. And there's going to be a lot of beef out there. There's a lot of beef out here. And really, I hope they reinforce the ring pose. <laughs> reinforce the ring pose. The beef's going to be flying tonight, gentlemen. Because there are going to be some big meaty men slapping meat at all out. Big meaty men slapping yes. meat. <laughs> That's what I want. Great call. Completely overlooked it. My anger at the lack of storyline. I overlooked that we got two big exactly. meaty men slapping meat. Thank you. We, we, we don't get that very much in AEW no. uh, or really in WWE right now. So let's we'll appreciate that. Hope these guys can be the crap out of each other and have some fun. Hobbs just he needs wins like he's he keeps getting getting put in feuds where you can't really have him win. Have him beat up on a bunch of guys for a while. Get something going before he goes and fights Miro. But instead, we're we're here. So we'll see. I need some meat. <laughs> yeah, I just realized I had one more I could play. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, Miro has to win this for sure. On Dynamite, uh, there was an NJPW Strong Open Weight Championship match. Uh, Eddie Kingston defending against Wheeler Yuta. Kingston sold an injured right arm that Yuta attacked late in the match. Eddie then hit a half and half suplex plus a spinning back fist. Yuta did not go down, so Kingston hit a second one and got the win. Kind of a mini banger here. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli walked around the ring. He refused to look at Kingston after the bell. He lifted Yuta up. And they left together. Kingston tried to goad him into coming into the ring the entire time. He wouldn't do it. I thought it was solid storyline continuation, though, you know, it's Ring of Honor focused. But this led into an all out match announced with pretty much no fanfare. They announced it after Dynamite on Twitter. And it just kind of seems like something they threw together to build out the card. It's going to be Eddie Kingston and Katsuyori Shibata against Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta. So I believe three of the four people in this match are champions. Two Ring of Honor champions, one an NJPW champion. Still interesting. So we have Yuta, who just lost Wednesday. He, to me, makes the most sense to take an L here. But we've thought that previously in matches with him, where he's surprisingly not just not lost, but actually been the guy to get the pinfall. And you know the way AEW loves to 50-50 book, where if uh, someone takes an L that they want them to get that win back as soon as possible. I suppose Yuta pinning Shibata could lead to a title match if they want to go that route. The goal, though, is Claudio and Eddie facing off at the end of the day. 
And if that's the case, right. it would make much more sense, I think, for the heels to win. But then again, you have Claudio who's ignoring Eddie, and Kingston may need to do something to make sure that Claudio can't ignore him anymore. I don't think the result matters that much. I mean, the clearly the match doesn't matter that much because they didn't give us a storyline like to lead to the match being booked on television, although there is a storyline, don't get me wrong. Um, so I'm going to pick the baby faces here just for lack of having a reason really to pick the heels. Kingston, Shibata. I think it'll be a good baby face pop for Eddie and uh, Shibata to win a match in Chicago. I think people would love that. Yeah, I mean, I just, I always think Eddie Kingston is the most underused totally. person in AEW. Not that he's not used, he is, but he's he's sometimes over on Ring of Honor. He just, he's he should be cutting a promo on Dynamite or Collision every week. Yeah. The, the LA Knight. We should have the LA Knight track promo. for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like, like he is that special and unique and people get behind him. You just got to give us a little bit more on the screen. Um, I am going to go with the heels here just because Blackpool Combat Club's been getting their ass kicked quite a bit, uh, losing these big team matches. They get a win back here. Uh, pin Shibata. Although I do like your idea of, you know, at some point are we getting to an Eddie Kingston, Claudio Ring of Honor world title match where Eddie Kingston wins? Maybe. I mean, and, and that should be to set us up down there. That should be what's happening in Ring of Honor. I mean, you want people to watch that. Yes. You make Eddie Kingston the champion, you know. I would watch it. Speaking of something you'd pay to see, I would pay to watch Ring of Honor to see Eddie Kingston beat Claudio for the Ring of Honor world champion. I, so I would not, but I would watch clips online versus now so, versus now not paying attention at all. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna go with the heels because okay. they just haven't they they need some wins. But but your idea makes sense. This is a tough one to pick. Well, it's also good for us to have different predictions on matches that really don't matter. So you know what I mean. And this is one that yeah. the, the the finish. I mean the the person the team that wins doesn't actually matter in the grand scheme. Uh, TBS Championship: Chris Statlander against Ruby Soho. Ruby challenged Stat on Collision, and Stat later accepted because she's sick of the outcast. She said she's sick of being stepped on and disrespected. I don't really know who's stepped on her or disrespected her, but you do you. Uh, Stat's done nothing since winning this title, as we've talked about. I do think this is going to be a good match, though. It's two really solid in-ring performers for the company. Stat, one of the best female in-ring performers for the company. But it's not tough to predict. Tony Khan did not wait nine months for Stat to get healthy, extending Jade Cargill's excruciatingly painful TBS title reign just to have her win the title, and then drop it a couple months later on All Out, which is like a B-level show now, to Ruby Soho. That's not happening. Stat retains the title. Agree on the pick. Agree this should be a pretty good match. I feel like I just haven't seen Statlander that much, even that's since correct. she's won the title. So <laughs> just good to see her again in wrestling, because that's what we love. So just need her on my screen more. She yeah. retains here. For a long time, she had a bunch of just match, 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 match against with no storyline. And then they, you know, granted, there is a minor storyline here. They've gotten contentious with each other over the last few weeks, but it's still not based on much is really the point. Uh, TNT Championship, Luchasaurus defending against Darby Allen. On Rampage, Luchasaurus came out without the TNT Championship for a non-title squash match with a choke slam and a lariat to the back of the guy's head. Christian Cage watched on a monitor, and there's literally nothing else to say about this because there is no further build, so we're just going to move to the match prediction. But... I mean, I guess there's something to be said for like Luchasaurus retaining because Christian is doing a really good job, you know, holding the TNT mm -hmm. title despite him not having won it. Right. Um, 
But at the same time, Darby's gone through so much recently, you know, and all the matches that he's had. I think he beat Christian clean on collision, if memory serves. Then obviously they just won the casket match and Christian was involved in that, even though that was not the original plan um, at all in. And I don't know why you'd be building Darby and, you know, doing this situation if you're not trying to also rebuild the TNT championship. And he has been historically the best TNT champion. So if you're going to rebuild it, if you want the TNT championship to be something legitimate on collision, because it kind of does need its own title to some degree, then Darby winning here would make all the sense in the world and becoming the new TNT champion. You have the international title doing really good work over on Dynamite right now, primarily with Orange Cassidy and establishing or reestablishing the TNT title for me makes the most sense. So I, I happen to believe, and I've said it for weeks now, ever since like this was an inkling, Allen wins the title over Luchasaurus and I guess Christian right here. Yeah, they've been telling the story of Darby Allen working his way back to mm-hmm. get the TNT championship again. So that makes all the sense in the world. I'm picking Darby as well. And you're right. Collision needs its own title, especially because it may not have the real world championship for a bit here <laughs> again. So uh, pick is Darby. I'm, I'm curious. I, I think Darby's really good when he's up against big guys. So that should be a lot of fun. Definitely. Christian has been doing a Christian has been doing a great job in this role. Um, Honestly, to Luchasaurus's detriment. Yeah, but, totally. But uh, yeah. that's it, it is a credit to Christian for being just really good at this. So um, the pick is Darby, and I think this should be a fun match. You almost wonder if like Christian should have just won the title and Luchasaurus could have been his muscle the entire time. <laughs> like, like, I don't know why, and, and especially because they had Darby beat Christian anyway. So that match last week or whenever, two weeks ago, could have been Darby over Luchasaurus with Darby fighting Christian for the title. And then... If Christian was the actual champion, the prestige of the TNT title would already be raised a little bit. And then Darby could raise it even yeah. more by winning it. So it just seems like it was yep. unnecessary to put Luchasaurus in this spot. It would have been one thing if Christian was injured and couldn't wrestle and they did it this way. But that's not what happened. So it is weird. But to what you said, this is one of three matches on the show that has legitimate long term build. And they announced this weeks ago while they were still building the all out card or the all in card. I'm sorry. Obviously, it's easy to get those confused. Um, so, you know, I am, I'm not anticipating the match because I don't really care about Luchasaurus, but I do give them credit. They, you know, this was one of them that they built and Darby winning the TNT title in Chicago would definitely be a moment. And hopefully they deliver on that. I think this crowd and fans watching, whoever decides to pay $50 for this, they need to get some of those moments to feel like they got their money's worth. This is one of those opportunities where AEW does need to deliver on that moment. And and we're definitely going to have Sting run in to help. Oh, yeah. To neutralize definitely. Christian, right? Yeah. You have to believe. Get yeah. a Sting moment in Chicago. Makes sense. Yeah. You have to believe that'll happen. On Dynamite, FTR approached the Young Bucks in the locker room. This actually happened backstage after All In. Uh, they were wondering why they didn't reciprocate the respect of a handshake after the match. I also thought that was weird in the moment. So they went to shake hands. They said, yeah, you're right. We were just pissed off. When Bullet Club Gold comes up, all talking shit. And it led to a very clunky, uh, but eventual eight-man match at All Out. So it's FTR and the Young Bucks against Bullet Club Gold. I like the idea of continuing the Elite versus Bullet Club Gold, all the consternation that led into the all-in match initially. Again, that wasn't really a storyline. It's just that Kenny Omega got attacked at Daly's place randomly while he was cutting a promo. But if you're going to start there, then it makes sense to kind of continue the Bullet Club Gold Elite um, feud. 
if Kenny Omega gets Konosuke Takeshka out of the way, then you really have a nice setup for a true four-on-four faction battle. You have, obviously, uh, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Hangman Adam Page, Jay White, Juice Robinson, and the Guns. That can easily be set up. And then that can eventually lead you into Omega, Jay White, one-on-one. That, you know, you want to talk about lasting like two pay-per-view cycles? That's how you do it. It's a really hot feud between eight really popular superstars on the roster. Uh, I call them superstars, sorry, wrestlers. Eight really popular wrestlers on the AEW roster. And it pays off, hopefully, with Omega and Jay White. And if that is going to be the plan, which I hope it is clearly, the way you kick that off ideally is by having the heels win. The problem though, is you have FTR, who are the champions, and the Bucks, a very popular tag team that just lost to FTR. They're teaming together. Whereas you have the Guns and Juice Robinson on the heel side, all three of whom could take the fall. But all of that said, despite it really making a lot more sense for FTR and the Young Bucks to win just because of the caliber of people on their side, I'm going to pick Bullet Club Gold. I just think if you're going to really get this feud going, you need the heels to win. You can use weapons. You can knock out the referee. There's a lot of things you can do. First off, I'm excited to see the Bullet Club Gold entrance again. Loved it at all in. I haven't really been here to talk about it, but like they've gotten so much better Bullet Club Gold itself since they added the guns, right? It's so much better as a four-person group than a tag team. Do you agree? Yes, completely. The guns are actually a, were a no-brainer addition to Bullet Club Gold. My only problem with them being there is there's basically two tag teams in one faction, and it seems like White and Robinson, and, and you know, justifiably so, if there's ever a title match opportunity or there's ever something like that, they get the chance, whereas the guns don't. Or ideally, the guns would be the ones going after the tag team division, and then you'd have White going in the main event and Robinson going for the mid-card. That's not how they're running Bullet Club Gold right now, but ideally that's how it would run. But to answer your question, I love them together. Yes, it's been great. Yeah, I I think you're right. You could easily do a Bullet Club Gold versus the elite new Bullet Club versus old Bullet Club storyline, and and it'd be a natural place to go next. We still, I don't think, have gotten the Kenny Omega-Jay White match. I think we all want. Uh, So, but but also like you can have a faction lose to a non-faction and then they just keep going forward because we've seen this multiple times with Blackpool Combat Club. So I'm picking FTR and the Bucks here, but I think the storyline continues on uh, kind of what you like. Bull Club Gold can take the loss um, and still feud with the elite moving forward. It's just kind of how it goes, especially if one of the guns takes the pin. So I think FTR, the Bucks, the crowd cheers, the crowd likes them. And you go with that. Should be a should be a banger, though. I don't expect any tagging. We'll just get it out of the way. Rick Knox is not going to enforce the tag rules here, but I still think it should be fun. Yeah, just make it a tornado match, please. Like, <laughs> I don't want to have to, you know, be angry about the yeah. lack of tag. Just make AEW's tag team division tornado, or at least whenever the Young Bucks wrestle, make it a tornado match. All right, let's move on. On Collision, uh, Ricky Starks brought Big Bill out for another jobber squash match that Bill won with a choke slam. Starks then beat the kid with his belt and promised to have a bigger strap next week. So do you remember a few weeks ago when Stark said he was going to cause chaos on collision during his suspension? That apparently means being the fourth person to work with Bill and to hit jobbers with a belt. Like his promos have been exceptional, but this booking is absolute dog shit. The booking of Starks 
on a week-to-week basis what, yeah. is what I'm talking about. So then... Well, what's the idea of... Hey, what's it, hey our Ricky Stark storyline is that he's not going to wrestle. That's our storyline. Like, what? Well, yeah. <laughs> I can't it, well, believe that was the decision they went with. Well, yeah. I mean, that doesn't really make sense. But if, if you're going to do that and you're going to make him a manager, and even if you're going to have him beat, you know, get Big Bill, then have them beat the shit out of some real people. Like, kick some ass backstage, mm-hmm. interrupt matches and kill them. He said, I'm going to create chaos. I'm going to tear apart collision. And all he all he's done is brought out Big Bill for two matches, which Bill's won in squashes. And then he's beat a guy with a belt. That's not chaos. I mean, you know, chaos, take over the yeah. show. Sit in the middle of a ring with a chair and cut a promo until someone makes you leave. Like, there's a million different things they could do, but that's not chaos is what I'm trying to get at. So... Retribution caused retribution caused more chaos than Ricky Starks is. Retribution caused more chaos than Ricky Starks. It's a fantastic point. So Dynamite ends, okay, and then on social media, AEW announces that Starks is going to challenge Ricky the Dragon Steamboat to a strap match, and he's going to make that challenge this Saturday on Collision. So obviously, that match, of course, is not going to happen. I presume, Chris, that the original idea was to do this this exactly what they're doing. And then CM Punk would, of course, step in for Steamboat and he would defend the real world title against Starks in a strap match as the main event of All Out. Would make all the sense in the world. That would have been a weird booking because Punk is a tweener at best and to most right now a heel, but being in Chicago, of course, he'd be as much of a babyface as possible. But with Punk supposedly suspended, and his status up in the air, they only really have two options. They can give a break in the suspension and have Punk show up at collision and all out and then just say, then restart the suspension, which look, I, I mentioned this previously. You got to do what you got to do if you're a wrestling promoter sometimes. And in a case like this, Tony Khan has backed himself into a corner. He really does need CM Punk on at least one, if not two of the three Chicago shows they're doing this week. So I'm not going to blame him if he reinstates Punk, lets him do those two matches, and then resuspends him. But in lieu of that, if they're not going to have Punk do that, then they basically need to pick another babyface to step in and save Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Who the hell that could be, I actually don't know. The best case scenario would probably be to use like Andrade El Idolo, but he's disappeared recently for personal reasons, apparently. Another option, a great option, would be Wardlow, who has disappeared for no reason, apparently. I have no idea what they're going to do here. It makes it very difficult for us to do an ultimate preview where it seems like they're going in one direction, but perhaps they're not going in that direction because, again, CM Punk is supposedly suspended. So we move on to our preview of Ricky Starks versus To Be Announced in a strap match, because it's not going to be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Um, So yeah, look, here's the prediction. If it's Punk or Wardlow or a top-level babyface, then I guess I would pick that person to win. If it's a lesser babyface, I would say upper mid-carder or lower, then I would pick Starks, with the idea being that they would go back and have Starks Punk once he's presumably reinstated at some point. That's my prediction. My question is, since we already have the precedent, can't CM Punk just get his manager's license and show up at All Out now? 
I guess he could get his manager's license and work with <laughs> with Steamboat. Let Steamboat be uh be the guy in the match. But Punk is the one who wrestles, beats the shit out of Starks, kicks his ass, and then just takes Steamboat and throws him on top of him for the win. In kayfabe, that would work. Yes. No. In kayfabe, that would work. In real life, CM Punk is not going to be at the show. So do you? So, so wait, hold on. Let's before you give your prediction and stuff. Yeah. You're thinking no way Tony Khan reinstates him for Collision and Dynamite, even in a short window. No. Okay. You can't. Okay. What whatever happened at all in and the different stories, like you you gotta okay. put your foot down okay. on this. I hope so you're right. If it if it does, I'm looking forward to your take on the podcast. Well so what I I just said. Well, what I just said. I said I won't blame him for doing it. He's a wrestling promoter. They have three shows in Chicago. Like, I get it. If there if there was an exception to be made. This is the exception. It's a pay-per-view one week after another pay-per-view. You're in Chicago. It was supposed to be your main event. If, if he goes back on suspension after that, I would find it acceptable, and I, I probably won't go crazy about it. Really? Because, again, if he's he a wrestling promoter. Him ju- but, but, like, he's you got are like, a manager Chris, in he's your got, job. Like, the, the idea of unsuspending someone I know. for, like, a minute only I, to resuspend him, that's crazy. I know, but you have to think about it from a business standpoint. Like, look, I, I know I've been hard on Punk, and especially Tony Khan, and deservingly so, and I'm certainly not backing off of any of that. But he sold thousands of tickets for this. He wants to sell hundreds of thousands of pay-per-view buys. It's CM Punk in Chicago. It was clearly being built for this. The guy's not injured. So it's like, again, I don't know that I would do it. I'm just saying I would probably understand the business decision in this case because it's such a short window. If this was a month out, I would say it's ridiculous. Or if it was two weeks out, I'd say it was ridiculous because you can easily build a storyline. But in this case, I think I would give him a break as long as punk goes back on suspension. But I don't think it's that kind of situation. As I talked about earlier, I think things are frazzled between them to a significant degree. And, you know, punk may be on his way out of the company. So maybe it's unlikely to happen. I'm just saying I would understand. Look, I hope it does because it's chaos. And <laughs> it I is chaos. The chaos that yeah. CM Punk creates. That's the whole reason when he came back. That's what I said. You know, he's going to create chaos and it's going to be entertaining at least. So I hope he shows up. I don't think he will. Uh, as a result, I don't think this is the main event. There's something else we'll talk about that I think will be the main event and maybe deservedly so. So this whole thing has been weird. And I just I just keep thinking about the stipulation of Ricky Starks got suspended, but he can still be there. So CM Punk is suspended in kayfabe. He should be able to be there. Although Absolutely. he wasn't suspended in kayfabe. So whole thing's weird. Uh, uh, feel bad for Ricky Starks who I think was doing a really good job with CM Punk stuff and then it just completely fell off a cliff and then this happened he's great we'll see what happens I guess yeah no doubt about it and of course this do is do I make a pick do I even make a do I do we make a pick do we I pick made a R? pick do we pick uh, Ricky Starks or do we pick TBD I made a pick you may not have been listening but I made a pick I picked if it's Punk or someone like Wardlow like a top level baby face then I picked them if it's a upper mid card baby face or worse, then I pick Starks. Okay, I, I'm picking Ricky Starks no matter what. So you think if if it's Punk, you think Starks wins? If Punk is being unsuspended just for this show, yeah. you better get that damn title off of him. So <laughs> yeah, I'm putting it on. Ricky so, so now, so now Ricky Starks is the real world champion. That oh my god! I mean, I will tell you this: Ricky Starks MJF, I'm down for that. You know, don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah, I, that would be fantastic. Um, but yeah, okay, let's keep going. 
Uh, on Dynamite, Adam Cole approached MJF in the locker room after All In. We saw footage of that. MJF caught him off immediately, complaining that he almost broke his neck. He's made him wrestle more in the last couple of months than he has in his entire career. And now there's a battle royal on Rampage to set a number one contender for the ROH tag team titles at All Out. How MJF knew about this tournament six minutes after ending the greatest main event, or not the greatest main event, but the, the main event for the biggest wrestling show in history, I have no idea, but apparently he's clairvoyant. And again, he also noted that there's going to be a tournament to face him for the AEW title at Grand Slam. So MJF, well, he was hysterical here as per usual, but it doesn't make the booking any less ridiculous. They are booking a pay-per-view match that obviously won't result in a title change in 48 hours notice. And here we are 72 hours before the show previewing a match that's not fully booked. I mean, it is because something happened at Rampage that we'll talk about. But in reality, Chris, um, if you're only watching you know, the shows that are in front of you, you don't know who's challenging them for the titles. Yes, uh, it's weird, but it makes sense. Look, these are your two biggest guys in the company. They just main evented the biggest show ever. You got to get them on the card. And if you're continuing the friendship storyline, great way to do it. Makes sense. I think this has a really good shot at being the main event. No chance. Or the no opener. I just think it's tough. It's this or something else that I think will be the main event. Oh, well, we got more. And you think good. Whoever they're taught, whoever they're wrestling, like it's, there's no major tag teams that they're going to fight. So like, is this main event worthy? I don't, I don't know. It's Adam Cole and MGF. You just, they're just, they're your, your hottest thing. It makes sense to end the show with it, but we'll see. Yeah. I don't I, know. For me, it's for me, it's a no. I didn't even think when they announced it, uh, regardless of who the challengers are, I didn't think it was a possibility. So let's keep going about Dynamite, then we'll talk about the match. Uh, Cole hit the ring soon after this, putting over all in and saying he sure he'll get another shot at the AEW title eventually. Cole promised MJF will be healthy for All Out when Roderick Strong and the Kingdom interrupted. Strong complained about Cole caring about MJF's injured neck and not his. Mike Bennett cut him off doing a promo with his back to the hard cam pretty much the entire time. He said Cole forgot that the guys mean more than the fans. Then Matt Taven... Uh, criticized him for joining the Bullet Club and then going to Florida and taking most of their friends with him. Taven said, now Cole has leached onto MJF and he's always been selfish. Cole replied that friendships change and MJF is now his best friend. Strong refused to accept it. He promised to enter the Grand Slam tournament and beat MJF for the title. Yeah, right. Could you imagine? Uh, I thought this was brutal. The only thing worse than a Mike Bennett promo is a Matt Taven promo. And the only thing worse then a Matt Taven promo is a Roderick Strong promo. And we got all three of them in a single segment. The jealousy angle, though, it does make sense. When you're doing a friendship gimmick and juxtaposing that with jealousy, that is really smart. And Roderick Strong is very funny. He's been doing a great job in this role. What's really funny that I don't think people have put two and two together is when he got injured in NXT in kayfabe uh, in the Creed Brothers storyline at the end of his run there, he had a neck brace and he was selling that kind of injury. So it's actually in some ways dating back to what happened in NXT when he got written off, except obviously separate doing what they're doing here. Um, so again, the angle makes sense and the friendship gimmick makes sense and the jealousy and all that. But this was really bad on Wednesday. I didn't think it was really bad. I thought it was okay. The, the, the friendship stuff and all that I made sense. I actually thought Tate Evans promo was fine, all things considered. My biggest issue was Cole being like, 
well, I lost. Oh, well, you know, we're friends type of thing. Like I kind of wanted to dig into that more. I kind of wanted to go deeper into Adam Cole's psyche and how he's feeling. Does he regret it now? You know, like a couple days later, has he been thinking about it? We just, we didn't get really into that. I don't think enough. And we probably won't is AEW just kind of doesn't do promos like that. So um, I thought this was a, it was fine. I didn't think it was really bad. Okay, fair enough. So let's move to the match. Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Better than you, Bay Bay, against TBD. Now, the best teams I saw in the graphic were Aussie Open, the Hardys, and Best Friends. I thought it would have been quite something if Aussie Open won the titles back seven days later at All Out. That would have been a huge eye roll if they did that. It would also be an eye roll if the rain lasted a week to put them, let's say, on the kingdom. Though, that would have made sense in storyline given the segment we just talked about. But I don't even mm-hmm. think the Kingdom are in the Rampage match. I don't think they're part of that. I say were because the match was taped on Rampage already. Now, we usually don't give spoilers on here, but since this is an ultimate preview and we know the actual challengers, we need to do it in this case. If you don't want the spoiler, if you want to see Rampage first, then skip 30 seconds. I'll do a quick countdown. You skip 30 seconds and we'll be good. Three, two, one. The team that won the Battle Royal is Dark Order. So look, it's probably going to be a fun tag team match, but MJF and Cole are obviously retaining over them. If it had been Aussie Open or Kingdom, I probably would have picked a title change, but it's not so better than you, Bebe. Agree. They are retaining. I still think there's an outside chance this is a main event because I think Chicago will love the Dark Order, but they're not winning. Bebe retains. Uh, Kenny Omega against Konosuke Takeshka is next on Dynamite. Don Callis showed Takeshka x-rays of Omega's injury, showing how he can attack him. Callis then said his backup strategy is a screwdriver. This was the entire go-home build other than the match being announced at the all-in scrum. I actually liked what they did here, but it was a little weird how it was presented because uh, whoever it was, Excalibur, through to the segment, we're getting an inside look at their training session, except they were standing in front of like, the big screen they use for interviews backstage. It would have been cool if they were in like a film room or watching on an iPad or, you know, a projection screen or something like that. Instead, it was like they were producing it for the audience as opposed to us getting an inside look at what Callis and Takeshka were doing to prepare. So that's just a production thing. I thought they could have done it a little bit better is all I'm trying to say. Now, in a match like this, Chris, you wonder where the feud can go if the heel wins. And other than a scenario where Jay White directly interferes, and maybe that is part of the build to the elite Bullet Club Gold feud that I talked about earlier that they could possibly do. If he does that, then Takeshka wins, Omega turns his attention to White. But other than that, I don't see why Konosuke should get the clean W over Kenny. Takeshka won the trio's match at All In, Omega wins here. I believe that was my prediction dating back to last week, and I don't see a reason to change it. Yeah, my whole pick was the reverse of everything that played out. I thought um, uh, the elite group, Golden Elite, would win at All In, and then Takeshka would beat Kenny at mm-hmm. All Out as a way to elevate Takeshka. I'm I'm not the biggest Takeshka guy, but they're presenting him like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, the way it played out, I think it's pretty clear Kenny Omega gets the win here. They have a great match. I just I don't know if it does much for Takeshka. Like we know he's a good wrestler and all, but. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe we have a twist of some kind, but I think Kenny Kenny clearly gets the win here. I just think it's going to be a fantastic match. It very well could be match of the mm-hmm. night. 
um, or top two match of the night, as far as I'm concerned. So let's move, Chris, to what I believe will be the main event. Um, the international championship, Orange Cassidy defending against John Moxley. So before we get to that, let's discuss what happened on Dynamite. The international championship was on the line again. Orange Cassidy against Penta L0M. The story here is that Orange and Penta both wanted to fight Mox. So this match for the title came first. But regardless, Mox got a buy into a title match as a challenger. Those are the facts, regardless of the story. The story does make sense in some way, but Mox getting a buy for me wouldn't have been it. What I would have done is put him in a match on Dynamite, and he was in a match on Dynamite. We discussed it earlier, but I would have put stakes in that match. The winner of that match gets to challenge for the title at All In. So you have two matches going. Both results matter. Instead, Mox was in this match, regardless of whether he beat Commander. Anyway. So Cassidy countered a vertical suplex over the ropes into Stun Dog Millionaire. Then he hit a tornado DDT. Orange did his gimmick stuff. And then they exchanged three consecutive Canadian destroyers inside of nine seconds. Obviously, no selling for the first two. They both sold the third, though, like they were 20 minutes into taking bath salts or something like that. I'm not actually sure if that's like a short or a long term high. So maybe that was a bad example, but that's all I got. That's all I got for you. Okay, Uh, you know. I may live in Florida, but I've never touched that stuff. Anyway, uh, Penta then hit Made in Japan. They botched Beach Break. Penta super kicked Orange's injured hand, then killed him with Fear Factor on the apron, with Cassidy grabbing the bottom rope to break the fall. Penta finally, I think, became the first challenger to actually stomp on Orange's injured hand. He then hyperextended the arm and hit Fear Factor in the middle of the ring for another false finish, with Orange quickly grabbing Penta for a crucifix pinning combination to retain the title. After the bell, Cassidy grabbed the mic in a very rare moment. He cut a promo about fighting through the pain constantly to defend the title because the international title means everything to him and it represents what AEW is about. He said no one will take it from him and Mox better bring a lot more than a fork. He ended with, I'm Orange Cassidy and I don't have a catchphrase, which popped me huge. Uh, Mox stormed out, got in his face, Orange slapped him. He sold the hand, and that basically solidified for me, Chris, that this would be the main event. So there's a lot to unpack here. The match was exceptional. Outstanding from bell to bell. Literally the only two things that bothered me were first, the pinfall, because I've been telling you guys this for weeks now, AEW excuses as many losses as they possibly can in situations like this, and they protect far too many people by doing it. That said, if you are going to use a sudden finish like this, This was the perfect spot in which to use it. So that's great in a vacuum. But again, because we see it seemingly twice an episode on all three shows every single week, it's repetitive. And then second, Chris, while the Canadian Destroyer spot was a sight, do not get me wrong. But I'm afraid I've got some bad news. It was also the official time of death of the Canadian Destroyer, Wednesday, August 30th. 2023 at like 9.56 p.m. Eastern, mark it down, the move is dead. Regardless of those two things, this match was a banger. I was kind of bored off my ass during Dynamite, and then this match happened, it main evented, and we got Orange's promo afterward. It was well worth the 100-minute wait to get this match and that promo, 4.25 stars and an A, even despite some of my frustrations on the end. And again, beyond the wrestling, 
Orange was outstanding in the promo. They needed him to cut that in order to make this the main event. This was the first time I ever saw him as a guy who can actually be the main AEW champion. It's going to require a lot more character tweaks like this, but they could get there. He did a great job putting over the prominence of the title, the success of his reign, and his will and his might and his fight. That should make it hit harder when Mox guts him like a fish on Sunday. Do do we still have the Orange Cassidy drop on the uh, board? Of course we have the Orange Cassidy drop. He got I think over. It's worth, it's worth... That is not it. Um, it's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange, Orange Cassidy. Cassidy. This is the match. I agree. Should and probably will main event all out. And it's not just because it's two great guys. It's it's a symbolic moment here after yet another CM Punk blow up Mm -hmm. after all the drama around Punk around the Bucks and stuff like that. The history of AEW, the most consistently reliable guys in the company have actually been John Moxley and Orange Cassidy. Mm -hmm. Orange Cassidy is always Always there. John Moxley skips vacations to come back and take title reigns because other things are going on. Mm-hmm. These two guys have really been part of the backbone of this company. And they deserve that spot in, in, in for this title in that main event spot at All Out when it was supposed to be a CM Punk show. Orange Cassidy has done such a good I, I remember like when he debuted, oh, it was funny. It was a it was a funny thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, but how long was this gonna work? We all remember the Pac match and stuff like that. And it's such a credit to this guy that he has slowly adjusted the character over the years where it stayed just fresh enough, where I'm still really excited to see him, where people still pop for him, and where he can go on a long international championship title reign, and it feels legitimate. Mm -hmm. He has brought so much prestige to that championship through what he has done. He has put that title really on the map. And it matters now. And it was so important for us to hear from him that it matters to him because his whole character has been, I don't care about anything. And it's not not that anymore. It's I do care. It's I care in my own way. And I care in these subtle ways that you may not realize, but eventually I'm going to tell you. And so it's going to mean something when, like you said, John Moxley guts him like a fish and takes that title away. I hope this is not a blood and guts match. I hope Orange Cassidy doesn't have to come off with another giant bandaid on his head like he did mm-hmm. at the all-in paper, uh, paper uh, post-scrum after what he went through in the match. But it's a Moxley match. It's probably going to happen. Um, but it's going to mean something when Cassidy loses. And I hope in a way that people boo Moxley. You know, yeah. maybe that means gutting Orange Cassidy where he is a heel. At the, I mean, he is a heel, but people are going to cheer him. They're in Chicago. Maybe this is something that cements a real heel turn. Uh, And maybe Orange Cassidy gets some time off after this because he probably deserves it. But awesome, awesome stuff. Ending dynamite there. I just want to see Mox be the first guy who realizes this guy has an injured hand. I'm going to eviscerate this hand. I'm going to break it. I'm going to hit it with a steel chair. I'm going to use a sledgehammer. I'm going to stomp on it. I'm going to put it between the steel steps and the ring post. He should do every single thing he possibly can do to break this hand. Because for some reason, it's been injured for three months and the guy keeps throwing the orange punch and winning matches with it for the most part, yet it's not getting worse. You know what I mean? But now we know it's injured. He's been selling it as injured. Obviously, they did the orange punch with the glass wrapped around it 
at All In, which was a great spot, by the way. So now you have the heel who is the purveyor of violence and he's, you know, the most hardcore guy in the entire company. He should be going full Pete Dunn on this thing. He should be breaking the fingers. Like he should just be destroying this hand. And if they do that on top of have a great match, which I think they're going to have a great match, then this will be a fantastic main event and a, a perfect capper to All Out that really could main event most shows, especially if the AEW championship is not going to be on the line as it's not going to be on the line here. So again, the right people, the right match, the right storyline build. I mentioned there were three matches on this show that had deep long-term builds. Orange and Mox, they've been building for months. So a lot of credit for the build here, putting the match in this spot. Do I wish it got intense a little bit earlier than it did? Sure. But for a go-home moment, holy shit, this may have been one of AEW's best go-home moments because it established Mm -hmm. Orange Cassidy's reign almost as much as all of his defenses have previously. It established him as a serious competitor who's not just kind of walking through it and lucking through some of these victories, but rather a guy that's purposefully gone out there and won all these matches. We already know John Moxley's a badass, but now Orange is like giving him the finger. Yo, dude, you may think this is a joke. It's not a joke to me. I'm going to beat your ass. When have we ever heard that from Orange Cassidy? So we got character development. We got storyline development. We got it elevated into a main event spot. And we got on that came after a banger of a match with Orange and Penta. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, Dynamite on Wednesday. I'll tell you, honestly, I largely disliked the show. I found it extremely boring, as I mentioned earlier. But this main event, the final 20, 25 minutes of Dynamite were worth sitting through the prior 100, 105 minutes. And more than anything else, we got a reason to feel sad if if and when Orange Cassidy loses it. Oh, totally. That's what you need to feel. It can't just be, oh, man. I can't wait to see these guys have a great match. No, it's man. Orange Cassidy, this belt meant something to Orange Cassidy and he lost it. And I feel bad about that. That is the connection we make with pro wrestling. That's why it's amazing that this character who, whose a whole approach to wrestling is that he supposedly doesn't care. You find out he does and you care with him and then it gets taken away and you feel bad. That's the money right there. Yeah, the guy indifferent to everything really cares about this one thing, and Mox is going to take it away from him and come off like a a total asshole heel, which helps his character. It helps Orange's character. And then if Cassidy takes a break, which hopefully he does, and comes back refreshed, then you have a guy who's one of your top babyfaces, possibly. In the company, you can make an argument he already is, but when he comes back, he definitely would be if he takes time off. So. Definitely excited for the main event of All Out. And we talked it up pretty well. I think people sometimes believe we're negative about AEW or one thing or another. I mean, I don't think we could have praised that even any more than we did. So very excited about the main event. That said, Chris, it is time to officially move into our grades segment. We will give a pre-show expectation grade for AEW All Out. And you all, our listeners, our getting overheads, can do the same as well. Please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will have pre and post show polls both for WWE Payback on Saturday and AEW All Out on Sunday. You get to vote and your uh, votes, I was going to say, but your results of those votes will be read on our respective instant analysis podcast. So we see how uh, Chris takes the show, how the Silver King takes the show and how all of you take the show as well. 
Chris, let's get right into it. We will give our grades along with our thoughts on the overall card. And of course, because it is our grade segment, you always get to go first. So Vintage, what is your pre-show expectation grade for AEW All Out? This has to be the toughest pay-per-view we've ever graded, Mm -hmm. maybe in the history of the podcast, because it's so not a pay-per-view in many ways. They threw some title matches on there. I think we picked two title changes, but there's... There's no real like big main event type of stuff. It's a rare, truly B-level AEW pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. I look at this card, and I think every match, except for maybe some Mojo Shane Taylor, should be a good match. I, I think they'll all be decent matches and, and, and fun, but there's so little just like connection to so much of this. I'm going to go... B minus right on the verge of a C plus. I just think the main event pushes it over to a B minus. Um, but this is largely a, a special dynamite episode. Frankly, I don't even know if it's that. I think grand slams have been better than this. But, you know, when you do when you do a pay-per-view one week after the biggest show in wrestling history, you're kind of out of options. And when you're not putting MJF or Cole into a championship match or something, uh, it misses. So B minus is my my pre-show grade. It frustrates me that you go first on these segments because (laughs) (laughs) because I'm not even joking. Like I wrote down B minus and it's it's exactly where I'm at. Look, there's really no good reason for the all out card to be this week other than the CM Punk situation. Even if he had a match with Ricky Starks for the real world title strap match added, It would improve the card, don't get me wrong, but it wouldn't change the tone and tenor of the card because you would know going in that Punk isn't losing a strap match to Ricky Starks. Tony Khan is the one who decided to do these shows back to back. And even when All In was first announced, there was still plenty of time to build two legitimate pay-per-view cards back to back. I'm not saying that it was a good idea. I'm saying it could have been done. No. Instead, this reads like one of those two-night TV special cards like Fighter Fest, where there's a bunch of matches and a bunch of titles on the line, and some of them have been built and others have been kind of thrown together. You have Orange and Mox, Omega and Takeshka, Luchasaurus and Darby Allen. Those legitimately have longer term builds. And yes, there are other matches that relate to storylines that happened at All In or things that have happened on TV, but that have largely just been thrown together without like a direct reason for those happening on the show. A backstage confrontation between FTR and the Bucks and Bullet Club Gold, for example, moments after a match at All In, that's not a storyline build to a match. It's a reason for a match happening. We want more reasons for matches happening on Dynamite, which often gives us random matches. When you have pay-per-views and you're asking me to spend $50 as a consumer, I want storyline builds for matches happening on that card. The go-home Dynamite accomplished nothing besides announcing a few random matches. And of course, Orange and Mox, again, I should have said the first 90 minutes of Dynamite accomplished nothing. The final 30 minutes absolutely did. It built the main event for this show. I get there were hiccups building the Dynamite card because of the hurricane in Florida. That doesn't change what's actually booked on this card for All Out. So I'm with you, B minus, and I'm giving that grade with benefit of the doubt because the talent on the card can put on really good matches that overcome a lacking build and lead to an entertaining show. 
I cannot go higher than that going into All Out. And I do think that the ceiling is probably a B plus. Can they get there? They absolutely can get there. It would probably take matches being interwoven with storyline continuation for that to happen or just like a situation in which there's two five-star matches on the card or something like that. But here's my question for you, Chris. It's a two-part question. If we did not do the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, number one, would you order all out after having ordered all in last week? That's part one. Part two, if all out was on its own, let's say it was three weeks from now and this was the card, would you order it individually? First one, no. If the current place, I think I said this on the all in show, but my brother usually pays for the AEW shows. I pay for the WWE shows and some mm-hmm. other things. He bought all in. He's not buying all out. So if I want to watch all out, I'm going to have to pay for it. And I guess I'm going to have to pay for it because we're going to have to do a podcast on it. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't thought about it until this moment, but it's also going to be at the end of a fucking long weekend for us. Uh, yeah. Football for you and me, the payback show on uh, mm-hmm. Saturday, just it's going to be a long weekend. And I am curious at the end of this card, how we're going to feel if this was three weeks from now and it wasn't on a it wasn't a two wrestling show card on the opening weekend of college football, I'd feel differently for sure. I, I would feel more apt for that. Now, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. How would you feel about this card if we had an MJF versus Roderick Strong championship match on it? Do you think that would add enough oomph to it? where it would feel like a worthy card, where you had a world championship match going on. Is CM Punk and Ricky Starks also on it or no? No. G- given what happened, so given what happened at All In, on on all uh, on Dynamite, MJF mm-hmm. is there in person, Roderick Strong confronts him, and MJF, being a babyface, offers Roderick Strong a title shot because of what he did to him at All In. Boom, we have a main, boom you get a main event title match for All Out. Um, do you feel like that's something this show is missing? Because that's what I feel. I don't feel like it's missing a world title match because I'm okay with pay-per-views not having them. And we, you know, we've been conditioned for this, right? Because of WWE with Roman Reigns not appearing on certain B-level shows. The problem is WWE does not ask you to spend $50 for their shows. It's $10 a month, a little Mm -hmm. bit more if you want the, you know, no ad situation, which I pay for. So you're asking me to plop down $50 for the show. And you're telling me MJF and Roderick Strong, where I know MJF is not going to lose the title to Roderick Strong, would be the impetus for me to spend 50 when I previously wasn't going to. It wouldn't change it for me now. I think MJF and Cole being on the show is interesting. I would have preferred them against a real tag team opponent. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to denigrate, but they're not going to win the titles. At least I don't think they're going to. Now, maybe the kingdom interferes and wins and they do something like that. But my point is, it's not like they're defending against the Young Bucks or hell, even the Hardys, you know, or uh, Lucha Brothers or, you know, a team like that. If you had a match like that on the show with Adam Cole and MJF teaming against the top tag team, that might, it still wouldn't get me to spend $50, but it would get me more excited about the show than MJF and Roderick Strong. Interesting card. I just, I wish Cole and MJF were in a bigger spot concerning what they just did in the main event, but it's kind of what, AW does. So let's hope this is not too long of a show. I'm 10 matches mildly dude. looking forward to it. I am mildly looking forward to it, but mostly for Mox Orange Cassidy. It's, it's a 10 match show. I mean, it's going to be long. It's, it's going to be four plus hours. Oh, 
I'm not excited for that. I, I really, I got to tell you, like, you know, we spend our money on the show and certainly you guys support us, you know, through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and through other contributions that you can make during the year. And we appreciate that. But it's one thing, you know, to spend $200 a year or $250 a year on AEW pay-per-views if you include Forbidden Door. But at this point that now they're doing the the Wrestle Dream show, I mean, they're going to be asking for, you know, I don't know, $400, $500 a year in pay-per-views that... I don't, maybe their fan base is so dedicated where they're just like, Hey, we can get as much money out of them as we can. And they're not going to change. But I I have to reconsider, you know, it to double the amount that we spend on AEW pay-per-views just to do this podcast. I I don't know if that's feasible. If they keep this going, they, they need to put them on max. I don't know why they haven't put them on max yet. Max has even talked about starting to do stuff like that. They're going to be airing live CNN on max. They want to get more sports onto max formerly hbo max they're in the wbd family put this on max come on but not just that that. you can't be asking everybody to spend 50 bucks a month all the time like this why can't this be 29.99 or or 19.99 or 24.99 like why can't sure why can't they why couldn't they have just you know you knew they were making a ton of money from all in tony khan knew AEW knew warner knows why couldn't they just drop the price on this and get it so it's affordable for more people and it makes sense. Again, $100 in two weeks, that that's asking a lot. And I'll tell you straight up, if we weren't doing this show, I would not order this pay-per-view. Agree. Same. All right, folks, that was the ultimate preview for AEW All Out. It was also our third of five shows this week. A reminder what is already in the can. We have your WWE Payback Ultimate Preview and, of course, your NXT show as well. And still to come this week on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast on Saturday night, as soon as the show goes off the air, we will have your WWE Payback Instant Analysis. And on Sunday night, as soon as this show goes off the air that we spent all this time talking about, we will have your AEW All Out Instant Analysis. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, all of that good stuff, but also so you can vote in our pre and post show polls for AEW All Out and of course the day before WWE Payback. Please also remember that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defy. So leave those five-star ratings for us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On Apple, if you leave a five-star written review, we will read it live right here on the show. Please also remember I happen to love the number five. And I hope you do as well for five bucks a month or $50 for the entire year. You can become an official getting overhead. Just visit buymeacoffee.com slash getting over and sign up. You get bonus audio, news posts, and of course, you directly support the show. We also have a function there, by the way, where you can support the show on one-off basis. So without a subscription, maybe you're already subscribed and you just want to throw us a little bit of support financially. Maybe you want to cover our coverage of AEW All Out just on the same page, buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. There's an area where you can buy a coffee or buy a meat is the way we have it termed. And you can give us any amount that you want. And I promise you, if there are any contributions, we will use all of those funds for the show itself. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It is time for us to sign off and to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.